five, four, three, two. Hello and welcome to Thinking Religion. I'm Thomas Whitley. And I'm Sam Harrelson. You're laughing at my countdown? <laughs> it was intentionally slow. No, it was I was watching the clock and it was counting like actually on the seconds. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Evernote was down today. Yeah. That's I mean, it wasn't long, right. but it was, you know, it's, it's long enough to remind you, hey, all this important stuff you keep in this, you know, cloud uh, locker sometimes isn't available. And never know it's not as bad because you can, you know, or, or you if you have the app installed on your desktop, you know, it, it syncs everything up theoretically. But right. But only but the, that's interesting, right? Only if you have it on a desktop. So if you think about people that are mobile only, essentially, right, a phone and a tablet. And maybe they use a browser like occasionally to access their Evernote stuff. Then all their notes are not downloaded anywhere except on Evernote server. Yeah, but you don't. You know, if you have a if you're mobile only, you don't want all all of your Evernote stuff on. Right, your right. Phone but or... your point was, oh well, it's downloaded onto your desktop if you have. But for people that don't yeah. use it, like when Evernote goes down, you have no way to access any of your notes. Um, I was seeing here. I was trying to see if I can figure out how many notes I have in Evernote. It doesn't give you a list anymore. Uh, I'm on the uh, Windows version. Oh, okay. Um, anyway, it's thousands and thousands. I mean, I've been a member since 2008. Um, but I, I, so I was on a podcast in 2006 with a guy from Singapore. <laughs> and he kind of spoke English, and I don't really speak <laughs> any languages from Asia. Uh, so we, we had this really interesting conversation, but it was about the notion of, of being able to access your stuff from wherever you are. Because right. in 2006, that was still a pipe dream, right? Yeah. Um, so I, I was describing, I had like a little uh, Nokia or however you say it in, in Finnish or Swedish or wherever they're from, a uh, tablet. And you could you could hook it up to the internet. And I was saying, hey, you know, the, my dream would be to be able to have this, you know, crappy little tablet, uh, be able to access not just my email, which you could from Gmail at the time, but also, you know, all my notes and my images and this and that. And now we have that with Dropbox and Google Drive and Box.net and Evernote and OneCloud and, you know, a plethora of things. Um, but, you know, it, it's, it still has that one little kind of worrisome feature. And, and it keeps me up at night of, oh, gosh, what if, you know, someone takes out the Google Drive uh, infrastructure tomorrow. I mean, not that that could happen because right. they use distributed services, but you know, Dropbox goes down, Evernote goes down, Google Drive goes down, and we all go on Twitter and complain about it. And back in the day, when we all went on Twitter and complained about it, it would break Twitter. Right. <laughs> and you know, <laughs> those were always the fun fun times back in two thousand eight. Um. Anyway, but but you can't you can't just put everything on one hard drive and back it up on another external hard drive. Uh, but you can't put everything in one spot and expect to be a functioning citizen in, in 2016. I mean, you got to have it in the cloud. No, I think that I think that's right. But I mean, I, you know, everything. Well, 90 percent of what's in my Dropbox is in a separate location on my desktop as well. And you know, I have an external hard drive backup too. So, yeah. Um, yes, it's duplicative, and I'm using twice as much space or whatever as I should. But. Um, when Dropbox goes down, inevitably, I'm still going to have access to, say, like my dissertation, this thing I spent an you know, insane amount of time <laughs> working on. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's, I agree. I think you're absolutely right. I mean, the, the kind of solution back in the day was virtually accessing your home desktop. Uh, and right. that 
kind of just doesn't make any make sense anymore. Um, though when you think about it, that's still essentially what you're doing when you're using the cloud. You're still virtually accessing some hard drive, some server somewhere, right? That is yeah. that is actually a physical location. Um, but yeah, it's different. I, I looked, I have 17,300 notes in Evernote now. Wow. So, um, yeah. I'm trying to figure out if I can figure out where. Um, well, I don't know. In the Mac version, um, in the view drop down menu, sidebar options has an option to show or hide note counts. And so I just have it for like notes. And then it will show it to you for oh. each notebook as well. So I don't have that. Um, um, but I will yeah, admit that the vast majority of those notes are in my social notebook, right? Which is where it's kind of like my feed. What you would call your river, right? It's my <laughs> river. Um, so yeah, like right. Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, like anytime I update those things, they get, because I use if this, then that, they get pushed through that into Evernote. Um, so that, right, because you can only go so far back on Twitter, on your Twitter account and Facebook is basically impossible to find anything you posted more than five minutes ago. So um, that way I can search my Evernote and find all that. Yeah. Yeah, and, uh, you know, it's, I don't know. It's something that I, I think people should be completely uh, alarmed about, but I, I, I'm just more acutely aware of it between being a, a business owner and being someone who works on Windows and iOS and Mac right. and Linux and, you know. So all my stuff's not just in iCloud. You know, or I'm, I'm not just taking photos and they're all going to photos on my phone, on my iPhone or whatever. Right. Um, you know, I'm, I'm always wondering, like, yeah, should I put all, all of our family pictures in Google Drive with Google Photos? Or should I make an upload to Dropbox as well just to keep them there? And, you know, I do both. But we're going through this thing now um, because of a, a few contractors we work with where we're basically moving everything that we do with work from Dropbox to Google Drive. And it's been kind of a torturous process yeah. <laughs> in some ways, but it's been really interesting. And I've, I've, I think Google Drive is really pushing some things in a, in a good direction that I don't necessarily see Dropbox doing. So, I don't know, kind of nerdy, but yeah. Well, you and I've been somewhat disappointed with Dropbox as of late. So we're just, yeah. I'm hoping they're just kind of in a phase, right? They're reorganizing or whatever, and that they're gonna like come back. You know, quicker, faster, stronger. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, by the way, I was uh, I was in a Best Buy recently. It's <laughs> a shocker. <laughs> so my my wife always makes fun of me when I when I say, "Hey, I'm going to Best Buy," because she's like, she said originally, she was like, "Is that code for like going to the bar?" And I was like, "No, just like, <laughs> actually, you go when you Best Buy. <laughs> you spend hours. You go there. for like an hour, <laughs> right?" I'm like, "No, I, I really go to Best Buy." But I've I've made friends with the manager. And when, when the manager, when he's on duty, um, we have these great conversations for like 10, 15, 30 minutes. Because <laughs> uh, he's, you know, he's kind of a younger guy, but he's really nerdy. And, and we, we have fun convos about tech and all kind of stuff. Uh, but he, I, I was there the other day and I was, I was buying something like a dongle for iPad for a display thing for work. And if, if the IRS is listening. And he said... Um, Hey, have you seen the the iPhone uh, SE? 
And I was like, oh, the little one, like the, the new little one. He was like, yeah, yeah. Have you seen it? And I was like, yeah, I'm not really an iPhone person. He's like, I know, but you know, come, come check this out. Cause I, I do, I'm one of those monsters that has an iPhone for work and I have a, a different device for my personal stuff because it, it just makes sense that way. So I've got an iPhone 6S for work, which is like the, the huge monster thing. And then the, um, I use a, a Nexus device for my personal device cause I like Android. Uh, but he, he let me, you know, handle this uh, iPhone SE, and it's it's amazing. It's fantastic. It's like the same size as the iPhone 5S. Uh, but I I really like that form factor. So I don't know. I, I was thinking about us in the show and all the talks we do about devices and that kind of thing. And I was thinking it's it's so nice to be able to have a kind of a, a and you know one hand iPhone again. Right. So yeah, my my, uh, my wife's. Verizon contract is up this this month, so we've been talking about what we're going to do with her. And you know, she was like, "Oh, well, I can get an Android and do Google Fi like you do." And I said, "Ah, you're you're kind of an you know, she's an iPhone person. All of her stuff's in iCloud, and she the, likes yeah and the ecosystem. Yeah. yeah, I mean that's how yeah. like all my stuff is. So yeah, yeah, she's got a MacBook and she's got an iPad, and you know, everything's there. Um, so I showed I showed her this uh, today just on the web and. She was like, "Wow, that's that's fantastic!" So it's it's you know the same size as the old five uh, iPhone five S, and I was like, "Yeah." Um, anyway, that was kind of cool, and and there's a shortage of them, so you can't buy one if you wanted to right now because well, <laughs> you can buy it, but you have to wait three weeks to get it. Right, lots of people are uh, interested in it, so I think it's funny Apple, you know, f- who who for so long under Steve Jobs had this reputation of we're going to tell you what you want, we're going to make it, and you're going to like it, and now it's kind of a not that Tim Cook is wrong, but all of a sudden we get this iPhone 6 and iPhone 6S, which are big, and then you get the huge, you know, iPhone 6 Plus, Plus and 6S Plus, right? Which I have. Which are massive. Yeah, yeah and I've got one too. And, you know, but I, I've used big uh, Android phones before, and I, I don't mind it, but uh, using a small Android phone again makes me really reminisce about those great iPhones of, <laughs> of your, you know, like the, the yeah. was it the 4S, the one with the glass back? Yeah, yes, it was great. Oh. I had it for a long time. It had the, um, the metal casing around it, right, which was, I guess, the antenna was built into that. Um, and that was a pretty big deal at the time, too. Uh, yeah, it was, yeah. A, it was a great phone. I mean, and right, so there's rumors, right, that they're going to kind of an all-glass uh, thing again. Um, we'll see what happens with that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I loved it. I loved it. You know, one thing that's interesting, right? Because Tim Cook also went away from the Steve Jobs idea of like you should be able to touch ninety percent of the screen with your thumb while holding the phone or whatever it was, right? Right. Um, and you you cannot do in kind of the traditional way of holding the phone. On the six plus, I can touch like fifty percent of it. Now, you just like learn how to move the phone. It's not that complicated. I can still do a lot of the majority of my tasks. I can still do one handed on my phone, and I do. Do you ever do the thing where you do the double tap to get the app to shrink down? Yes, and like you do that. I made fun of it. Like when they were during the like keynote when they were announcing that, I was like, seriously, this is the stupidest thing ever. <laughs> and then I, but because I have a large phone, I, I find myself doing it all the time to get, you know, wow. it just brings your screen like the half, bottom, top half to the bottom half. So like what's on the top row then is now on the third row or, you know, to go back and a message or whatever, 
you know, it might be easier than swiping or something. So, yeah, I actually use it. It's actually pretty handy. I was kind of shocked when I found myself using it. That's interesting. I've never heard of anyone who actually uses that. It's kind of like the uh, the force touch thing. Right. On the new, you know, the 6S and 6S Plus. Um, I, I'd never ever use it. And I don't know. <laughs> so it, that's the reason I like, for me personally, I like the Android stuff because it's not as polished in many ways, But although, although that's not really true anymore. But the upgrades, the, the new stuff and the, and the new stuff feels like it's more productive than something like Force Touch. Right. Right. So I just downloaded the uh, the new Android N developer preview last night onto my working phone, which is kind of silly and, and stupid, yep. but <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's the third iteration. And Sundar Pichai, who's the head of Google, uh, said yesterday at their uh, they're having their big developer conference this week that I've been watching all week. It's it's fantastic called Google I/O, but he said uh, you know this developer preview is is stable enough to run on your daily driver phone. And I said, okay, Sundar, let me <laughs> you run. So 11 o'clock last night, I'm up, updating my phone. And uh, I took it outside for the first time today. And I was like, please work, please work. Because I'm also using Project Fi, which is kind of wonky in itself. Uh, but it, it works great. It's it's beautiful. And, and you know, the, this operating system isn't coming out for another six months. But it's it's fantastic. Well, five months. Um, but uh, I was just thinking, like, when, when you look at something like Gboard, which is a terrible name, but it's Google's new keyboard for iOS. It's fantastic. And, and a lot of my friends who are iPhone users in the tech world, you know, talked about it and, and they also really, really like it. And, you know, aside from the Google creepiness that some people feel, you know, with Google wanting to create Skynet and control all of humanity, um, it, you know, it gives you like really inc- incredible, uh, functionality that you don't get on any other keyboard on your iPhone or your iPad. I'm to, I haven't tried it out, so I'm going to have to try it out. I mean, I know you've yeah, been talking yeah, about it for great. a while. So, Well, it just came out. I mean, this one just came out like uh, two weeks ago, I think, or last week. Yeah, I think it was last week. Yeah, but you can, you, you know, you've got the swipe thing, which you've had on Android for a while. But you can also search GIFs or GIFs. Uh, <laughs> you can search, um, you know, images. You can search anything from Google, basically, right, right there on your keyboard. Which is really fantastic, but but the the GIF GIF thing is is really fun too. So, I mean, you know, Thomas, I'm a big fan of those in our group text conversation. I know. Well, so I already have like a GIF keyboard installed. Like, right. You know, right. So it's just you just go through the language preferences, which and for me it takes a while because I have a bunch of language, other language keyboards installed too for various reasons. <laughs> Um, like yeah, do. so my wife gets so annoyed when she uses my phone and wants to like just get an emoji, which is like. I don't know, between my English keyboard and the emoji keyboard, there's like five other languages, right? So I've got like, I've got like a German keyboard, I've got a Greek keyboard, an Arabic keyboard, a Hebrew keyboard. She's like, well, like, I just want a smiley face. I'm like, sorry, (laughs) like, just keep clicking through. Um, So that's a little bit of a pain. Maybe um, like a quicker way to switch keyboards would be nice. But um so I guess the nice thing about that would be with the Gboard, you wouldn't have to switch keyboards. Right, unless you want to use like Bitmoji or whatever. Right. <laughs> whatever. Um, yeah, so so you can search right there. And uh, from the people I've talked to who are Apple people, the swiping uh, action is is kind of revolutionary for the Apple folks because 
we've had, again, we've had this on Android. So I was like, wait, that's not that big of a deal. But you swipe a word. And if you, you know, if you want to send a text message to, to someone that says, where are you? You know, you swipe where. And then you lift your finger and then you swipe R, like A-R-E, not R. And it automatically inserts the space for you. And it's those little little details yeah. that I think Google gets on the software side that Apple necessarily doesn't get. And it's one of the reasons why I don't like the hardware associated with Android. You know, But the software that you get is so much more... Like personalized and intelligent. I mean, like like now I've got a, a Google Smart Case on my Nexus phone, and it's got a, like a from Google Maps, like a thing of my hometown, which I, I enjoy on the back of the case. But then the actual screen itself is a kind of a faded Google Maps thing that matches the design on the back of my case, but it updates automatically and it's kind of blurred, so it's not like a real map, but it's just kind of a cool functionality that you, you don't. And, and maybe you don't want to get on iOS, but, you know, you don't have that kind of ability to get in there and tinker with things like that. Right. Yeah. So when I've never like I never used swipe or anything before either. So I'm going to have to try it oh, out. You will. You will. Have to try it out. Yes. Yes. The good I'm news is, iPad, that, um, anyway, but go ahead. is that <laughs> Apple's probably just going to like build this into their next keyboard. Right. So. You know, I mean, Apple's pretty great at taking what other people are doing and kind of polishing it up and perfecting it. So, well, that, and that was the, the Steve Jobs model. Right. You know, it was we're not going to innovate; we're going to let something mature and, and figure out, you know, what's good, and then take it and, and really add polish. Right. To so it. the expectation now, at least from what I was reading today, is um, okay. So everybody has their home product out there. So now, what is Apple going to drop that's going to blow all those out of the water? <laughs> right. Or Apple TV. Right. Which definitely needs some kind of an update. Even the new one. I know you've got a new. I've one. got the new one. I like it. Um, the, yeah. like so they've updated it some. Like the Siri's gotten better. You can do more with Siri now than you you could before. And you can like put your like their apps essentially still into folders. And um, <clears throat> so it's I, yeah. I mean, I think it's gotten a little bit better. It could still be better, but some of that is the apps and not the Apple TV. Like the Netflix app is still just horrible. Just, I mean, absolutely abysmal. I don't know how to how to be more <laughs> negative about the design of the Netflix app on the new Apple TV because it's a different design than is on the old Apple TV. With the app. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, and it's so it doesn't have like the like the the thing I liked about the you old can't. Apple there's TV. no way to like pick genres. Right, really? one of the most basic things for like searching for movies or TV shows and in Netflix is that you go to genre and then you click from there. Right? Oh, I want thriller, I want comedy, whatever. You can't do that. So it has That's all of these different things that it builds for you, like oh, recommended for you or recently watched, um, and then it'll say like oh, because you watched this, then this, and then it might have a couple like comedy genre up there or something, and you can scroll through some of them, but. There's no way in the app for you to go and say, I want to handpick a particular genre and then browse that genre. You know, it's really interesting because Reed Hoffman, the, the head of Netflix, um, gosh, 10 years ago, I think, uh, started the Netflix Challenge, I believe it was called. Do you remember that? No. So he paid a million dollars out to people who could come up with the best algorithm for predicting who would like what on Netflix. And this is still when it was in the DVD era. So, or, no, they never did VHS. But when 
you know, when I when I first uh, started using Netflix back in God, 2003, I think 2004, you know, it was DVD only, right. and that was the big thing. And and after you got your DVD, you would go on and rate your your DVD, yeah. and it would give you suggestions, and that was magical, you know, because you were like, oh wow, it knows that I liked, uh, you know, Jerry Maguire, so it's going to give me Top Gun, right. and that was cool. Um, so Reed Hoffman was trying to really develop that, so it was kind of an early algorithm. Uh, but it was mass distributed and I forgot who won the, the Netflix prize or Netflix challenge, but it was a big deal among the kind of the, the tech developing community. Um, you know, and now we kind of look back on that and say, ha ha ha. But you know, clearly they still have that in the DNA of, you know, wanting to su- suggest something to you rather than you browsing. And I think Apple is kind of that same way, right? Yes. Yeah. They don't want you to go into the store and browse. They want you to say, mm, I need a new iPad. And they say, well, here, here are your two choices, but we think you're going to like this one. Right. You know, um, that, that's interesting. I, I wonder, you know, cause I, I use, we have Roku's here, um, among Chromecast and all kind of other stuff. Which that, also have pretty horrible interfaces. Right? Uh, yeah, the right. Roku's, <laughs> it's, it's straight out of TiVo land, yeah, you know, yeah. but, but I've got, you know, thousands of channels and then within those, you know, there, there are things like pair channel, which right. gives you 24 seven streaming family guy, which who doesn't like that. Um, but, but within the net, uh, the the Roku thing, like the Netflix app and the Hulu app, and all these things are, you know, they're they're kind of old school, but they're pretty intelligible. Uh, that's that's really interesting. I, I hadn't hadn't seen that. The thing I loved about Netflix on the old Apple TV was uh, in the kids section. I don't know if you've checked this out, but they just would have the characters, like certain characters from certain shows, oh, and yeah. it, it didn't have the names of the show. So it would have like a little pony for my little pony, yeah. and then there would be Arthur, and then there would be like you Dora know. or whatever. Yeah, exactly. So my kids would just sit there and scroll and like look at this and be like, "I want that one," right? And and run up and try to touch the screen, of course. And I'm like, "Stop touching the TV!" Um, you know. So they would try, and they learned how to manipulate that terrible old uh, Apple TV yeah. remote. Yeah. Anyway, I, I, I've always thought that was a really clever design, especially for the kids. Yeah, no, that's good. That's good. Yeah, I mean, so we'll see. Obviously, yeah, I don't spend a lot of time in the kids section on Netflix. Um, <laughs> so. All right. Well, you know, there's always there's always that possibility. I, I before we move on from that, just I think this is interesting for our listeners, our listener demographic. I will say, I um, I was talking to I forgot who it was. Someone the other day, and, and they said, "Oh, well, I would definitely pick Hulu over Netflix." And I thought, I like, "No, no." I mean, we we have Hulu, and we watch it a lot for like, you know, the TV show stuff and, right. and Modern Family and Top Chef and all those things. Um, and I mean, Mariana loves it for for the TV show type things because we don't have cable, right? But for me, like, gosh, Netflix between the documentaries and like <laughs> the mostly the documentaries. I, I just, I thought that was so interesting that, you know, someone who is very similar to me was like, no, you know, Hulu is definitely more preferable than Netflix. And I don't know. Yeah. yeah I, I think you're more like, I me, guess right? it's like if, yeah. Um, but like we have cable, um, and like DVR and stuff. So we just record the shows that we want to. So you still use DVR. Yeah. I mean, not for all of our shows. Uh, not, I'm not judging you, but, um, <laughs> But it's, you know, for a lot of them, yeah, um, you know, set it to record. But then, like, you know, certain shows you don't, obviously. Um, you're just like, oh, yeah, I want to watch, like, this. I haven't watched it in a while. And you can just, like, you know, find it on the whatever app and 
pull it up. Um, but this is what we do. All right. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I guess for me, Hulu probably is. I used to watch a lot of Hulu, but I don't anymore. Like, like I don't know the last time I went to Hulu and watched something. Like, it, oh, really? if it's not something I like, my my three main sources are like if we've recorded something, um, or Netflix or Amazon Prime. Those are my main sources for watching things these days, um, because. But the thing I will say about Hulu that could make sense to me is it does have more in the way of current TV shows. Yeah, and, that's what and I mean. Netflix right. really doesn't, right? right? Like they have their right. own shows, which aren't you know great and, and I think getting better. Uh, and then they have movies, and you know I do think it's kind of you know Netflix is kind of notorious for having like ten good movies in each genre and then just a bunch of crap, you know. <laughs> right. um, so, you know, there's that. And yeah, I mean, everybody has spent like an hour looking for a movie on Netflix and just not been satisfied and not watched anything. Right. So that's why the suggestion thing is important. Uh, but yeah, so if you're more into kind of watching TV shows than movies, I could see Hulu being better. But the, the Amazon Prime, which like we're paying for Amazon Prime anyway, like I don't know what price would be too much where we would stop paying for Amazon Prime because of how much we use the two day shipping. Uh, but now like with the video streaming and the music streaming, which is pretty good too. Um, it's definitely worth the money for us, but I mean, they are starting to get uh, like some HBO shows and stuff. So we had never watched newsroom and we don't have, we don't subscribe to a package that gets us HBO. And then they had their first two seasons of newsroom on Amazon prime. So we watched that and we're like, Oh, they don't, you know, the third season you have to buy it. So we're just not going to watch that. And then, like, a month later, the third season was on there. We're like, oh, we'll watch the third season of Newsroom. So, and then they also have, I think, really good original content, too. Like, Man in the High Castle and some of that stuff. They're doing yeah. good original content. So, those are my main... Yeah, I, I... Seriously, it's probably been a year, at least, since I've, like, gone to Hulu and watched anything. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah. And I'll, I'll just say this before we move on. Uh, so, we use Sling kind right. of as our yeah. table. yeah. Which is awesome, you know, twenty bucks a month, basic. But I'll I also subscribe to HBO through Sling, uh-huh. and I did that for Game of Thrones because I really love Game of Thrones. Uh, and then I realized, oh wait, Sesame Street is on there now because yeah. of you know capitalism. <laughs> so <laughs> hashtag capitalism. <laughs> All forty six, whatever it is, seasons of forty two seasons of Sesame Street are on there, so you're able to like scroll back and back and back so now ben and i are you know we're, we're working our way backwards so we start off with a new season and yeah. they put new episodes up every week or every day or something i forgot what it was uh so now we're we're <laughs> slowly scrolling back so like we're, we're two years back now and it's awesome but um i mean it sucks that it's not on pbs anymore but uh anyway uh hbo go and all that stuff is, is terrible but i i found myself more and more into that HBO world. So I think Netflix and HBO are going to really go at it here in the next few years because HBO is doing a lot of interesting shows like Silicon Valley right. and kind of building on what they used to have, um, you know, with like Sex in the City and those types of shows. Right. So we'll see. But it's, it's, ugh, what was the, there was an online cartoon the other day that was like, oh, well, I'm saving, you know, I'm not having to pay the cable company $110 a month to have cable anymore, right. so I'm paying $150 for, for all these <laughs> other, exactly. and HBO yeah. and Showtime. Right, and, yeah. and that's that's been kind of our right. philosophy is like, okay, so you, you cut one cord, which was cable, and now you're paying for seven different services and paying just as much. 
<laughs> and then there are shows I like, like uh, Rick and Morty, which is an Adult Swim show. It's awesome. It's it's a cartoon version of like Doctor Who, basically. Yeah. Uh, it's my favorite show of the moment. And uh, the, the current season isn't on Hulu. Yeah. Because it's Adult Swim. So I go to Google Play and I buy the current season for 30 bucks. And I'm like, well, what the hell did I do that? Right. <laughs> Why not just wait? Or like Game of Thrones or, or Vikings. Like these shows I have access to, I'll still go and buy the full season just so I can have it just in case. And I don't <laughs> want to be a pirate, you know. Right. Um, or, or, you know, Finding Jesus. I go and I buy the – no. No one bought the whole season of that. <laughs> no one bought, I hope nobody bought the whole season. <sighs> yeah. Speaking of Finding Jesus, Thomas. Um. What do you want to – do you want to – actually, we have a question. Can we do a question yeah, before yeah, we get Yeah, let's to do a question. Show? Yeah, let's do that. It's a good uh, – This might go long. Yeah. This might go long. Okay. So I mentioned uh, on, a, on a different show to some other people that I'd taken a class at Yale about homoeroticism in the book of Jonah in the Old Testament. As you do. As I do. And, and they said, well, why would you take that class? And I said, well, I was a Southern Baptist, born and raised – on the playgrounds, <laughs> playgrounds where I spent most of my days. <laughs> so I, I decided, hey, I'm at Yale. I'm a historical critical guy because I was trained by 65-year-old professors and undergrad, and it was great. But now I'm here, and I need to learn some postmodern stuff. Well, not just postmodern, but, you know, whatever. And I took this class, and it was a transgendered uh, professor, and she was awesome. And it was an amazing class, and I loved it. And she's still there at Yale, I believe. Um but I, and I, I kept all of my resources, but it was kind of one of those classes that changed everything for me <laughs> and uh, made me really kind of take things like, you know, gender studies in, in a different light or, you know, how um, looking outside of your own perspective can really change the way you look at, at things yeah. you thought you knew. Yeah. So I was talking about this experience and, and this person was so intrigued by it. So uh, she's a, a fan of the show as well. And she told a bunch of her friends, and then I've gotten four or five emails now because people are, are catching up on our show, and they've listened to the last two or three, and they're like, are you going to talk about homoeroticism in the Bible? Because we never have, have heard of this. So I've gotten these emails asking about Jonah and Jesus and James and all sorts of things that I won't get into. But um, and it's, I'm not going to throw out there. So what do you think about homoeroticism in, <laughs> in the Bible? Right. But uh, Well, you should have taken my 16-week course on that this past semester. It, Exactly. Exactly. So I, I know you've you've talked a lot about this, but as a as a kind of a general overview, if someone's really interested, because there's this now group of listeners that we have, uh, if someone's really interested in, in that topic or that path, what what would you say? Like, is I mean, does Jonah have homoerotic overtones? Is that something we're reading into it? Is that what the text is telling us? All that kind of stuff. Yes. <laughs> so I'll I'll um, be back in about two hours. Yeah, I know. God. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know. So, okay, one of the first things I would say is I, I would uh, suggest that people read Bernadette Bruton's book, Love Between Women. Uh, it's on early Christian responses to female homoeroticism. <clears throat> um, now, it's a thick book, and it's maybe somewhat dense, um, but it's a fantastic book. The first half of it... She essentially is kind of setting the stage, right? Contextualizing um, early Christian or kind of contextualizing homoeroticism. Um, so within like the Greco-Roman world and kind of Greek and Roman views toward homoeroticism. And then 
she essentially, the second half of the book is essentially a commentary on the Romans 1 passage and then kind of early Christian responses to that. Um, and that, that's not going to get you Jonah and stuff like that, but that is going to get what most people are interested in, right? Because most people are like, oh, you know, Romans 1 says this, and then maybe they know about Leviticus 20.13 or something like that, but, you know, right. that's that's generally it. So, And what was her name uh, again? I'm Bernadette sorry. Bruton. Okay. Um, we'll drop a link down in the show notes. Uh, the book is Love Between Women. Um, and it only focuses on female homoeroticism because, frankly, there's not been very much work done on that. There's a lot of work that had been done on uh, male homoeroticism. Um, so that's great. I think that's a great text. There's a hundred other books that would be great to read as well. I mean, you could read some Foucault even. Um, but, yeah, other than that, man. And then I don't know how where else to begin on kind of listing out resources. Um, yeah, I mean, it's difficult, right? Because, I mean, you and I have had these conversations a lot, but essentially, and we use the term homoeroticism to get away from using, like, homosexuality, which is a term that was going into the 19th century um, and describes, I think, something quite different than what we're talking about in antiquity. Um, right, right. But... You know, yeah, if we're thinking of like same sex sexual practice, there's a lot to talk about. I mean, in the biblical text and and kind of in the biblical context as well. Um, but I don't think for a second that most people that are thinking of this, um, you know, uh, same sex sexual activity in the ancient world are thinking about it in the same way that we are, as in like, this is my sexual orientation. Um, certainly people in the ancient world uh, not only engaged in same-sex sexual activity, they also, um, you know, plenty of people, not a majority by any means, but plenty of people seem to have had, um, you know, same-sex partners that they were essentially, you know, if not married to in kind of the technical legal sense, certainly bound to in the way that we would understand kind of partnership, right? So, So we also can't say that, like, they had no conception of, like, you know, being in love with somebody of the same sex, because I think they clearly did. Um, but you also have to understand that kind of sex, um, I don't want to, I'm not going to say it played a different role, but, you know, I mean, like the practice of pederasty, for instance, right, um, was a fairly common practice. Uh, and explain what that means. Yeah, pederasty who- is essentially... Um, I don't know. It's men having sex with younger, like young boy, like prepubescent boys generally. But it's also like a mentoring thing that goes along with it. And um, I don't know. It like most people. It's hard to talk about today because most people are like, "Oh, that's like you know they're whatever they're like raping those kids." Um, and maybe, but I don't. I like. I, I was. I also think it's kind of hard to kind of project our values onto people from a thousand or 2000 years ago. Um, so, but yeah, so there was a lot more involved in it than just sex. And, um, yeah. So, and generally the practice kind of stops once the, the boy kind of, I would, I would say kind of hits puberty, not necessarily, but like basically once, once he starts growing a beard, then he's like kind of become a man in his own right. And there's all kinds of issues of power tied up into this. Right. And you saw the quote, from Oscar Wilde that I 
Uh, did you see it? I reposted it from Esquire's Instagram. Um, yeah. You know, everything is about sex except sex. Sex is about power, um, which is absolutely true. And so there's, of course, um, unequal uh, power dynamics involved in that practice and in every other sexual activity in the ancient world, um, particularly between like masters and slaves and men and women, right? Because men were supposed to be the penetrator and women were supposed to be the penetrated. And this is largely where a, a fair amount of the issue came with um, same-sex sexual activity, right? For men, it was, well, you can't be penetrated because then that's, that's feminizing you. Um, and then for women, it was like, well, you can't even really have sex, can you? Because nobody can be penetrated. You know, nobody can penetrate the other one. So that's not really sex. And then they started like having all these, you know, started talking about tripodes and, you know, they were kind of imagining that some women had like enlarged clitorises and they were like penetrating the other woman with that. And, you know, it's oh, like, huh? it's like men that don't have any idea what they're talking about, like thinking about <laughs> and making prescriptions for like, you know, women's sex lives. Um, but but they had sex toys in the ancient world. Yes, of course. Absolutely. Phalluses, right? Yes, uh, phalluses yeah. that were sex toys. I mean, what we would call dildos. Um, certainly. I mean, you can see the artwork on vases and and uh, you know you know wall paintings. In Pompeii, right? Right at Pompeii and stuff like that. Um, absolutely. I mean, there was yes, they definitely were a fan of their sex toys. I didn't realize that the penetration aspect had such an interesting or such an important role in that definition yeah i mean and that's you know i mean there there are other you know it's i don't know that's kind of the common way everybody talks about it there are some ways we could nuance it but i i still think sure. that that's largely um in a, a, a fine appropriate way to talk about it that it was about um active and passive roles right and this is all huh. tied in this kind of gender hierarchy of that what that you were very much able to kind of move up and down right and so you had to do the things that made you more masculine and you know, it is men that penetrate is the idea in this in this concept. Right, right. That's interesting. But but it didn't have to do with gender as much, you know, like male, female binary. It was, you know, men, younger boys or I mean, so so with Paul, right? I mean, skip Jonah, but, you know, we're talking about Paul and Romans. Um, you know, people frequently use that to. Uh you know, talk about homosexuality in our current context. Right. Is that, is that a fair assumption? I mean, I know that that's a historically based question, so it doesn't really hold water, but you know, in the idea of that culture or Paul's culture, as much as we can tell, you know, would Paul approve as much as we can tell of the, <laughs> I, I'm just, I really like the deeper, nuance deeper here. Though. Yeah. You know, would Paul approve of, of you know, the, the current, anytime you have a, a debate about transsexuals using the bathroom or homosexuals uh, marrying or whatever, and, and you get the, the conservative Christian response on Facebook, would Paul approve of that is what I'm trying to say? Um, no, I don't think so. I mean, I, I think pretty generally Paul would have disapproved of same-sex sexual activity. Do you, do you think that's because of his own culture, like being a, a Jewish Jew, <laughs> uh, you know, from? I mean, yeah. So like his kind of Jewish culture could have something to do with that and just the larger Greco-Roman culture. I mean, a lot of people, yes, it was somewhat of a common practice, but a lot of people, particularly Romans, um, seem to take issue with male hom with homoeroticism at all. Um, not everybody, obviously, um, but 
yeah, it, it's not like everybody was completely fine with it. And then like the Jews and Christians were like, no, this is bad. I mean, I think the larger culture in general uh, would have also um, kind of condemned it, so to speak. Um, oh, really? Really? Yeah. I mean, there's all these arguments that are being made like from nature, so to speak, which are not very far off from the same arguments that are being made from nature today, right? In medical journals, no less, you know, essentially what we, you know, medical texts, right? Hippocratic texts and things like that. I mean, they're making <clears throat> some of these same type arguments about why. You know, this is against nature. Um, so, yeah. But I also think, like, that that's okay. And that's one of the things I like about Bernadette Bruton's book is um, that she doesn't try to say, like, save Paul, right? And that's the problem that I have with a lot of, like, liberal Christians who are in the reading Romans 1, for instance. Like, we all know the conservative response. But, um, you know, a lot of liberal Christians are just like, well, it, you know, he wasn't didn't really mean this and, you know, didn't really mean that. And we have to look at it like this. And... And basically all they're trying to do is like help Paul save face what they think is saving face, right? To make Paul out not to be condemning, you know, homoeroticism. Um, and I just have no need or desire to do that. Like I, I think we can try to read the text as, you know, as well as we can. And, you know, some interpretations are better than others, I firmly believe. And, you know, I think that I mean, I don't know. Paul has a lot of issues. Like, this is just one of them, I think, right? I mean, kind of, you know, condoning slavery, condoning, I mean, yeah, you know, that's Galatians, true. you know, passage about, you know, men and women notwithstanding, right? Still not exactly a champion of women's rights, right? Still calling for women right. to be covered when they're praying in 1 Corinthians 11 and things like that, right? So, um, yeah, and Bernadette Bruton also does not do that, right? She's just like, here's what I think the text says. Um, and here's like how basically every single early Christian author, granted these are all generally what we would consider quote unquote orthodox men, right? Because they're the ones that were in charge. They had the power and they're the ones that text survived because they had the power. Right. Um, so, you know, maybe a somewhat uh, conservative view, but basically every single early Christian author, the vast majority of them read, Romans 1 as condemning homoerotic activity and agree so, with so it what, in that regard. So what you're saying is that the ancient world, even though it wasn't fully, I want to say ancient world, I mean the ancient Mediterranean from right, yeah. <laughs> first century, wasn't fully just out there, you know, people having sex in the streets with males and males and females and females and dogs and cats and whatever, uh, even though they didn't have Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. Yes. I mean, it's wow. like, and it's kind of crazy, right? I mean, but the thing is, like, yes. And they, were, they weren't, ways, like, they weren't shooting each other with guns that they, you know, may or may not have illegally purchased or right. drinking lots of alcohol and beating their wives. Right. In a lot of ways, yes, the ancient world is, is quite different from our world today, right? And this kind of modern concept of homosexuality is one way to get at that. But in a lot of other ways, it's really similar. Right. And this is what I think, because this is not stress, this is what I think is important to stress a lot is, you know, kind of the, the large similarities between just like human activity. Right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there were plenty of people having sex like, yeah, there were prostitutes and there were, you know, um, whatever you call those places where prostitutes, what are the, there's like a. Brothels? Brothels, yeah, thanks, yeah. So they were like ancient brothels. I don't know why I know that. Like famous ones in 
um, Pompeii, for instance, Herculean AM and other cities, right? Um, with, you know, and kind of fantastic, like in Pompeii, right? I mean, we can, because we can see some of this now. You can see like drawings that are kind of like leading you to the brothel in the city. So you kind of know where they are. And then when you get in the brothel, it's like all this essentially what we might consider pornographic artwork inside it, right? Makes sense. Um, yeah. So, I, I want that service or I want that tattoo. <laughs> right. Yeah. You could just point and pick. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, it's a pretty literate culture, right. right? So, yeah, but it's not like everybody's just, I don't know, like doing it out in the street or something. But they didn't have Jesus, so how would they have known what it's to do? It's kind of crazy, like, right? They can't be moral without Jesus. Um, you know, Thomas, Paul is making me nervous. Paul is making me scared. I know, I know right? That, by the way, is a reference to one of the best Toad in the Wet Sprocket songs. I think it's, I, I, I mean, I think it might be the best, yeah. It is the best. The best. Uh, Walk into this room and swaggers like he's God's own messenger. Change the name of my brother. Change the things that he said. Says he speaks to him, but he never even knew the man. But I'd give my life for him. So it's, yeah. it's James, right? The brother of Jesus. Yeah, it's, you it's know, kind James of talking, you know, pissing on right? Paul, which is I'm all for. Um, yeah, which the Bible kind of holds up. Yeah, I mean, right. I, I, my opinion. Yeah, that's what James, right? That's why Luther wanted it taken out of the Bible. So can you imagine just as a flight of fancy since we're having that kind of a show yeah. can you imagine if jerusalem christianity under james with which josephus seemed to not have too many problems with can you imagine if that had taken hold instead of paul's gentile christianity oh yeah certainly i mean it's it'd be different but you know the interesting thing is like even for paul like like paul still basically recognizes the authority of the jerusalem church like he's not happy about it but he still does it, which, you know, I think a lot of people like don't, you know, they're not really considering like, you know, we talk about the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15. And yes, Acts 15 presents it differently than Galatians 2 presents what is probably the same meeting, right? Where Paul, right. Paul's like, you know, t- hu- you know, puffing his chest and like, you know, these supposed pillars of the church, right? He's like so sarcastic there. Um, and he's like, all they asked was that I remember the poor, which is the very thing I was, you know, planned to do or whatever. Um, <laughs> it sounds like Bart Ehrman at a SBLA or yeah, meeting. So like, and then, and then in, in Acts 15, it's like, oh, well, you know, they talked and then everybody was of one mind, which, yeah, okay, Acts is all about like unity and all this stuff. Okay. So, yes, they're both kind of spinning it when we're used to that. But, but you also have to ask the question, like, why did Paul even go to the meeting? Right. So for, you know, a lot of people that are kind of, oh, well, like it was just Paul and he just kind of ran everything. It's like, no, not really. Like he knew he had to go to the meeting and assuage them or else, you know, some serious stuff might happen. Yeah. They're calling him to the boardroom and they're saying, hey, you're out there in the in the in the sales field. Like you're saying some questionable things about our business here. Right. And we don't really want to sell to these people. And they're not going to give us kind of the, kind of the returns that we want. Like right. we've got a good thing going. Like James is still a high priest in the, <laughs> in the temple and the Romans aren't giving us too much trouble evidently. And, and neither are our Jewish brothers because we're still Jews. Right. So just chill. You know, we, we don't need, we're not, we're not trying to start anything new here. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, um, so yes, I, I I think the thing that hurt the Jerusalem, uh, um, church, you know, the authority of the Jerusalem church is seventy, right? The destruction of Jerusalem and the temple. Has anyone ever done work on that? Like how important that was for Paul's mission, and how that really set back, you know, what became. I don't EB know. Um, probably I haven't read it because 
you know, most of my more serious work is later than this, but, um, but I don't really know. But I mean, you know, you think about it, I mean, Rome comes in in 70, right? So you've got the, you know, the second Jewish war, um, starts in 67, goes to about 72, you know, that's when they take Masada, uh, at the end, but Rome comes in and they're like, we're tired of this shit. And, and like we're going to destroy the temple, we're, like they raised Jerusalem to the ground, right? And you right. know, a visitor, Jerusalem, or Josephus tells us a story later. You know, take him with a grain of salt, but this part I think he's probably telling the truth about. Um, you know, a visitor to Jerusalem later came and said um, that they couldn't believe anybody had ever lived there. Is how badly Rome had destroyed the city. And so, obviously, everyone flees, everyone leaves, um, and so the kind of central authority you had in Jerusalem is no more. And so, there's a power vacuum there, which those churches—I mean, Paul's already dead by this point—but those churches that were kind of in Paul's image at that point were able to, I guess, you know, um, slide into and take control. Yeah. I mean, we get Bar Kokhba and that, that that sort of thing. Yeah, but that's not what, until what, 132 to 135, something like that. Yeah. Right. And that's because they're rebuilding Jerusalem and, and renaming it, um, you know, um, what the you know, Jupiter Capitolini. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and they're like, oh, we're not going to stand for this. And yeah, ultimately unsuccessful revolt. But yeah, I mean, that's another 50 years later. So, and, and you know, perhaps that's why we don't have much from the early second century besides. Things like Second Peter, I guess, um, and the Jovanine epistles. Yeah, I've always wondered, you know, gosh, what if, <laughs> what if James had had won the argument? And one, well, so what you might have is what you get in what's called the Pseudo Clementines, for instance, right? Uh, yeah, fourth century sure. collect. Well, a collection of texts was edited in the fourth century. It probably goes back to the second century, and people sometimes call it, you know like Jewish Christianity, um, which is a really problematic term, but, um, and they're like big fans of Peter. Um, but yeah, so you kind of have this like, Oh yeah, we're still talking about the temple and sacrifice and all this stuff. But yeah, we also love Jesus and like, think he's, the, I don't know if they like love Jesus, but you know, he's the Messiah and all this stuff. So, you know, kind of what we might think as what may have looked a little bit more like what the Jerusalem church could have looked like later. I still think Peter went to Rome to uh, cut the legs out from underneath Paul. Yeah. And in Romans is is Paul trying to suck up to to that? Oh, group. He's, yeah, yeah. He never he'd never been there, right? He's definitely trying to say like you've heard all this about me, but like here's my side of it. Yeah, because because that Peter guy went there and he's causing trouble. But I just want money for Spain. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's and I'm not even going to stop in power. <laughs> Yeah, just just give me some money and I'll go to Spain all, and, it'll and be then cool. I'll come back later, right? That's that's, what, that's what he says. Know, it's great. I'll, I'll come back through on the way back. I'll, I'll stop in Rome on the way back to Jerusalem because I'm collecting money for the poor. But th- so here's poor. the other thing, right? We're talking about this, um, and I'm saying like, well, I'm essentially trying to argue here today that uh, the Jerusalem Church had a lot more authority over Paul than Paul wanted anybody to believe. Okay, and so, and I know you're familiar with this theory from Danny Goodman, but you know, essentially what I think is, yes, he's collecting money for the poor, but but for what poor? The poor in Jerusalem. He's not collecting money for the poor in Macedonia or the poor in Galatia or the poor in Ephesus. He's collecting money for the poor of the church in Jerusalem, right? So what I really think that is, is there has been a significant rift uh, even after the Jerusalem council meeting between Paul and the Jerusalem church. And this is his 
this is his peace offering. Is it's going to be kind of his large peace offering to the Jerusalem church, right? I mean, he's trying to essentially build a bridge here. I think. Uh, and that's yeah. why he's collecting money for the poor in Jerusalem. I mean, why else would you do that if you don't recognize, right? He clearly recognizes the authority of uh, the Jerusalem church and is trying to win back their favor, in my opinion. And clearly the poor had some kind of a, some kind of an importance for that Jerusalem group because we get the Ebionim later, which you know yeah. means the poor. Uh, so I think Paul was playing into that. And, and those later, you know, quote, Jewish Christians, which as you say, is a terrible term, but that group that comes out of, of whatever that is still clings on to, to that because we have the Ebionites. Um, I don't know. That's so fascinating. It, but it reminds me of Last Temptation of Christ. Yeah. <laughs> Again, you know, that last scene where Jesus, you know, comes where he, you know, uh, takes takes the devil's offer, if you will, and hops down from the cross and lives a good life. And he's walking along one day and sees Paul, sees uh, this guy preaching who is Paul. And he's preaching about Jesus the Christ, and Jesus walks up to him afterwards, and he's like, "That's not how it happened at all. That's you know, that's that's not what this was all about." And the figure of Paul says, "Oh, you're Jesus. Well, you know, great to meet you. That's great." And Jesus says, "Well, that's not what it was about." And Paul, the character, says, "Ah, well, I don't care. But doesn't matter. Hey, it's really nice to meet you. <laughs> Look, I'm holding my bag of money, and this has been a you know pretty good uh, pretty good arrangement for me. I don't know. It's so fascinating." Yeah. And we don't talk enough about that in the church or in the academy, I don't think, because, I mean, you know, Paul is more than half of the New Testament. Right. And it's kind of heretical to go out there and say, well, maybe there was some interesting shit going on there with Paul beyond, you know, homoeroticism. Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah, that, did, that question did take like half the show. I know. I know. How far along are we? We've got a few more. Do you have a few more minutes? Yeah, we got a couple minutes. We got a couple minutes, I think. So, we're right. almost an hour in. So, yeah. So, where do you want to go next? Do you want to? Do you want to go to Trump land, or do you want to? Uh... Let's say let's save Trump land. We're going to get more about that later, I'm sure. Yeah. And and the higher ed stuff. Yeah. I don't know. It's pretty good. It's so good, but I don't. I, I I want to spend more time on that than we have left. So yeah. So where where, where, I, where I want to go then is I want us to talk about how social media is changing our religious beliefs. Oh right. Well, of course. Yeah. Sorry, or, I, I skipped over that part of the uh, thing there. Well, uh, it's such a small topic. We can definitely do this in like eight minutes. Right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Why do we pick and choose our religious beliefs? Blame social media, Thomas. Okay, so Tobin Grant, Tobin Grant's writing this. It's an opinion piece. We'll give him that. Okay, for religion news. We like religion news. Tobin Grant is good. I mean, generally, I like, like his stuff. Um, this piece, though, really bothers me. Um, okay, so he's highlighting, essentially, the research of a doctoral student at Baylor, which is fine. Um, but he's using the National Study of Youth and Religion uh, survey, and basically he's saying, oh, well, people... Um, well, I'll just, I'll read it to you. Okay. Taking into account many other factors, McClure, this doctoral student, Paul McClure at Baylor, found that social media users were more likely to believe that they can pick and choose their beliefs. The NSYR, the National Study of Youth and Religion, asked if people agreed with this statement. Quote, some people think that it is okay to pick and choose religious beliefs without having to accept the teachings of their religious faith as a whole. End quote. Those who had not used social media earlier in life Sorry, those who had used social media earlier in life were more likely to agree than those who had not. This effect even had uh, held after controlling 
for current religious practices such as church attendance. Social media users were also more likely to say that it is okay for someone of your religion to also practice other religions and not that they should and not that people should only practice one. There's a ton of typos in this. So, um, so McClure also found that one found one belief that was not affected. Social media didn't change the belief that all religions are true. Okay. So, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I don't, I mean, I do know where to start with the problems for this. I had a little mini Twitter rant about it, uh, yesterday or the other day. You can go back and look at that if you want to. <clears throat> um, man, there's a lot of problems with this. Okay. The first problem is the conclusion that's drawn from the statement that's made. Okay. So the question that, or that statement in the survey was some people think that it's okay to pick and choose religious beliefs without having to accept the teachings of their religious faith as a whole. And the people who tend to agree with that more were people who had used social media earlier in life. But that is not the same as people who had used social media earlier in life saying, I think it's okay for me to pick and choose my religious beliefs. Right? They're saying, yes, I do think that some people think it's okay. Right. Okay. So that's a problem is that the conclusion does not seem to actually match the question that the study asked, though I haven't gone back and looked at the actual study, but at least the way it's presented here. Okay, that's one problem. Um, but that's kind of only the beginning of it, I guess. Um, <laughs> okay, so let's go ahead and say, okay, you can only have, you can only conceive of the idea that people are picking and choosing religious beliefs if you already conceive of the ideas of orthodoxy and heresy, even if you don't use those terms, right? Because you're already saying, yes, I believe that there is a certain list of things that are right, right? That are kind of in this canon um, that, you know, Christianity equals X. Okay. So you're already agreeing to this kind of essentialist notion of religion, which is problematic and also not, not true at all. And anywhere ever in the history of the world. Okay. Um, so then I have to ask, well, who gets to decide who's picking and choosing and what gets to count as picking and choosing? Right. Um, so wouldn't most Baptists say that Presbyterians are picking and choosing and vice versa? <laughs> right. right. Wouldn't someone who subscribes to transubstantiation say that consubstantiationists are picking and choosing? Right. So who gets to decide what the canon is essentially of belief? Right. I mean, so yeah. that's, I don't know, that's really problematic. And then even if we'll just give all of that, we'll just give them all of that. Um, it's not like people haven't been doing this forever. Right. Nobody reads the Bible, right? This is, you know, they're talking about Christians essentially. And the guy's at Baylor, so that's what he's interested in. Because um, <laughs> Baylor. Right. That's nobody, nobody can read the Bible and believe the whole Bible. Right. For starters, it contradicts itself. So that's a problem. And then you have the fact that it, in some respects, has a vastly different worldview than we have today. All right. So one I tweeted out was about kind of like ancient Hebrew cosmology and how they understood like physically the kind of earth and its surroundings to be, right? With pillars kind of holding up water in the sky, et cetera. Like nobody believes that today. Okay, uh, and then you have all these other things about kind of condoning slavery and uh, things like that that also no one or very few people today uh, would accept. All right, so you can't just say like, "Well, I believe the Bible," right? So I don't know. I mean, it's like just consistently, 
um, since there has been anyone who has wanted to be a Christian and wanted to say what that meant, they've been picking and choosing from some list, right? And they're picking the things that they think are appropriate and not picking the things they don't think are appropriate, right? And this happens in different ways at different levels, right? So you get you have bishops that want to define what counts as orthodoxy and they want to um, excommunicate anybody who doesn't agree with them. Um, or, you know, maybe they don't want to do that. Maybe they want them to submit, so they cut off the grain trade to their city, um, you know, to a rival bishop city so that they can basically starve the entire city into submission to, you know, agree with their theological point of view. So, I don't know. Or, or look at Paul. I mean, right. you know, Paul's reinterpreting what Jesus said or, what, you know, what, what he thought Jesus was, or what he heard about Jesus. And the brother of Jesus is saying, well, no. let's have a meeting about yes. that, buddy. <laughs> right. So, I know, but so then this idea, and, and then there's a whole other level that I think this is wrong, and that's the idea that, like, all social media is to blame. And it's just like, come on, you know, yeah, like smartphones are to blame that people don't want to talk to each other. Well, maybe you're just not that interested in somebody yeah. else. You're just not that interesting, right? And we have, we've, of course, all seen the papers or the pictures with, you know, every, every single person on a bus is reading a newspaper and not talking to somebody else, right? Yeah, okay. on the train. It's not right? like this is anything new, okay? Um, but, yes, yeah, so on the one hand, I am open to the idea that the ways, the flattening that social media allows for right? Um, the kind of globalization, democratization that social media allows for can fundamentally change who we are. I, I'm open to that idea. But I just don't think this is an example of that at all. And it's the same thing we heard about radio, same thing we heard about TV or yeah, right. newspapers, like, oh, if you want yeah, to get back that right. far. Okay, so now, like, I can broadcast my, you know, my ideas on, you know, a radio in every single home. Like, this is going to change the world. And yes, in some ways it did. But I don't, I don't know. It's just, yeah, so social media makes it a little bit easier to, like, see people from other religious traditions. But, I mean, we're, everybody's complaining about how social media makes you, and you know, like, silos you, too. So, which is it, you know? Yeah. And, I mean, we're, we're a self-selecting species, you know, right. <laughs> at, at our core. And, and we've, we've had this. And, you know, ugh, God, I mean, Socrates complained about writing. Yes. <laughs> And Plato said, no, it's not too bad. Yeah, this, this Snapchat thing's pretty cool, Sock. And Socrates was like, no, man, that's not cool. But it's the same it's the same argument, you know. And Socrates was saying, well, that's going to make you dumber. And if you write it down, you don't have to remember it. So why would you write it down? And, yeah, it's the same thing we do today when when 70-year-olds or 60-year-olds or are telling 20-year-old people, oh, don't use Snapchat or Facebook or Instagram or whatever. That's stupid. And you're, you know, social media is killing us. Whereas they still go home and watch the CBS Evening News with their, you know, 20 ads for AstraZeneca and, right. you know, boner pills and all that <laughs> all that stuff. Let me start to use that phrase. But, you know, it fascinates me that every generation thinks it's better than the next. And it's like, well, see, church is changing, and we have to figure out a, uh, a reason to say why it's changing. And the reason that kids aren't going to First United Methodist Church or First Baptist Church or First Presbyterian Church isn't because, like, actually, maybe we're not keeping up with the times or we're not preaching the gospel. It, maybe it has to do with that social media. Yeah, it's Facebook, and people are so nasty, and it's changing the way that people use religion. And it's 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 sad, but, it, you know, it's the same thing that's been, 
been happening forever. Well, the other thing, like the like, even if you give into the essentialism of the the whole you know concept here, like this is what like this is what Christianity has done during its entire history, right? It just co-ops other people's celebrations, other people's holidays, other people's whatever, right? I mean, it essentially just co-opted or tried to co-op Judaism as a whole. Yes, I know, like, that's a really problematic way to talk about it historically because, you know, yes, it was, you know, essentially a sect of Judaism and then it, you know, blah, blah, blah. But, like, by the third century, that's not what most Christians are thinking about, right? They're thinking, oh, we, we know the, we have to talk about, you know, the Hebrew Bible because, like, that gives us some connection to, like, you know, old stuff and then the Romans will respect us and for that. And the Romans that, like the old right? stuff, they like right? like the old stuff. And also, like, yeah, Jews, didn't you know that your whole text is actually telling us about Jesus? And they're like, uh, I don't <laughs> think so. Like, no, no, trust me, it is. No, Isaiah, right, right? there, Pothinus. Right, so it's right. just like, talk about picking and choosing. Like, it's just kind of, it's just, it's just amazing to me, this idea, right? Because also built into this is the idea that, like, people shouldn't do that. Yeah, so we had this conversation in Sunday school because we were talking about uh, the Sermon on the Mount and Matthew and... I was, you know, comparing with the Sermon on the Plain and all that stuff, and we were talking about the differences between um, the the uh, Lord's Prayer in Matthew and Luke, and you know, did Jesus actually say one of these? And we don't know, but there's differences, and and there are differences because people were picking and choosing, and there's thousands of different types of <laughs> Lord's prayers out there. You know, the Catholics say one thing, the Presbyterians say one thing, the Anglicans say one thing, the Baptists say one thing. Is it debtors or trespasses? Right. Do you include the doxology at the end? No, if you're Catholic and you walk into a Catholic church and you do that, like you're going to get kicked out as a Protestant. Um, you know, and, and we're picking and choosing based on our own lenses and based on our own worldviews and, and what we want to project into the text or into a faith or into a, a religion. Communion. Yeah. The thing that's supposed to bring all of Christianity together. Right, Exactly. You walk into any damn church, and they all do it differently, and that's okay. But, I mean, I was at a CBF gathering, that, I'll, I'll say it's the State General Assembly, and, and the, the person, the guy leading the, the Lord's Supper, the communion, however you want to say that, Eucharist, said, you know, everyone who's a Christian is welcome to come up to the table and receive communion. And I didn't think that was right, because <laughs> in my lens, in my worldview, everyone's welcome at the table. Right. Right. When, so, yeah, and even with that, right. So then you have like some churches, it's everybody who's, you know, all baptized believers is what they'll say. And then other yeah, churches, right. you can only take him baptized, if you were baptized at that church. Right. You know, like, right. um, what are they? Right. Landmark Baptist? Or, yeah. So, um, I've seen Southern Baptist churches. Yeah. Do there that. Are, yeah. There are some, yeah. So, yeah, exactly. So I don't know. The whole thing just really rubbed me the wrong way. It was an epic Twitter rant. I really appreciated yeah, it. Thanks. Thanks. Well, I, you know, kind of, I've read the thing because you emailed it to me, and I was yeah. like, "Yeah, that's that's, you know." And then I was like, "No, no, no, no! You have to listen to me. The whole <laughs> right. world has to listen to me rant about this. <laughs> I'm going to broadcast my feelings about this." Yeah. Well, and then I, you know, I read your rant, and I was like, "Okay, wait, that that's a good point. I hadn't considered it from that point of view, and I hadn't made the connections with what you were pointing out there. That yes, we pick and choose. Of course, that's the whole point, and that's what we all do every day. It's." You know, what do I want for dinner? I'm going to go pick and choose this. And that's okay. It's okay to pick and choose. Right. We have the Bible not we a have negative. today because people picked and chose. Right. I don't right. want to say choose. People pick and cho picked and chose 
which text would be in and which wouldn't. That's like why we have the text today. I don't know. It's just so it's so basic to me. That well, and and you you read the ESV and then you read the NRSV, yeah. and they're two different Bibles in, in many cases. Um, you know, Jesus coming into Jerusalem. You know, is he on a donkey? Is he on a foil? Is he on a donkey on a foil? I know circus <laughs> Jesus is my favorite Jesus. <laughs> Like that doesn't make sense unless you you acquiesce to the idea that this is all just interpretation over and over and over again. Um, it's turtles all the way down. Yes, turtles all the way down. So I've talked to enough people about circus Jesus, right? Um, that like every Palm Sunday, I get like multiple people sending me messages like circus Jesus, and I'm like, yes, my mission is complete. Is there an image? I'm Googling now for circus. So Jesus. the image that I usually use is um, it has a donkey and then another donkey and then Jesus on top of that. Right. So they're like Jesus on top of a donkey on top of another donkey. And the one donkey, the one on the bottom is like, uh, what's going on, guys? But also you can think of Jesus as circus Jesus, like kind of standing one foot on the back of either donkey. Like, <laughs> that's what see, that's what I think. Yeah. Like he, he's riding kind of like side saddle, but. He's got, you know, one foot on one and one foot on the other, like like a radio clown. Right. But I like the other one um, just because – let me find it. I can't remember yeah, exactly. I can't I can find it. Um, There's some really disturbing things if you <laughs> Google image, image circus, search. Uh, circus Jesus. Circus Jesus. Yeah. Holy cow. Um, Family circus. Lots of that. Let's see. It's a cartoon like I've used for years in my presentations. Um uh, I'll have to find it. It's so good. I can't remember what the. I probably have it saved on my phone. Honestly, <clears throat> that's probably yeah. A definitely, yeah. I'll find it. I'll find it. Yeah, definitely find that and send it to me because uh, we'll use that as the album art. Yeah. So here, <laughs> here's what I'm thinking. Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna put this in the robot for you. Over on the uh, Skype keeps changing. I don't. Okay. Here we go. Bam. This is what I'm thinking of. Donkey on a beside a, a bowl with Jesus on yes, top. Yes, yes. So you've got you you think donkey on top of little donkey with Jesus on top. Yep, I'm gonna send it to you right now. So for those of you don't who don't know, like go read Zechariah. And that's And then go read Matthew. Yeah. So basically the idea is that like Matthew doesn't understand how Hebrew parallelism works. And he's just so focused on Jesus fulfilling prophecy that it says in Zechariah, um, you know, he's on he's on uh, a donkey. He's on a donkey. He's on he's the colt, the foal of a donkey. And um, Matthew's like, oh, there's two donkeys, and everybody else realizes, like, no, there's only one donkey. It's parallelism, and it's you're saying the same thing twice, but two different ways. So, <laughs> so do you think? Okay, so do you think Matthew was a uh, was Jewish? I, or whoever wrote man, Matthew. I have no idea. Right? That's, everybody's like, "Oh, Matthew's the Jewish gospel." I'm like, eh, "I guess, yeah." What do you do with that? How do you how do you uh, square that? I don't know. I really do like Christopher Stendhal's, you know, theory of the synagogue across the street. All right, that like essentially, that's who kind of Matthew is dealing with, like Jews who didn't believe in Jesus, and maybe they're Jews who do believe in Jesus, and that Matthew is answering questions that arise based on reading the Gospel of Mark. For instance, like, what are the circumstances around Jesus' birth? Because there's no birth in uh, the Gospel of Mark. Um, also, like, there's no resurrection. 
And, you know, was he the son of David? Because Mark seems to say no. And Matthew's like, oh, yeah, yeah, trust me. Like, look, I'm just going to start with uh, genealogy to tell you that he's the son of David, right? So it, in a lot of ways, you can see Matthew is kind of a handbook to answering questions that come up based off of a reading of Mark um, from a certain perspective. Um, huh. So I really like that idea. I like idea. that. Uh, Christopher Stendhal was a fantastic Swedish um, biblical theologian so, or scholar, whatever you want to call him. Um, so anyway, yeah. Did you get the donkey picture I sent you? <laughs> Dude, that's fantastic. Good. Good. <laughs> I feel stupid. I love it. I feel stupid. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> so not a high quality picture, but, uh, that's the one that I always use. I love it. So, well, that, that makes sense with Matthew too, because, uh, when you look at like the Sermon on the Mount, you know, it, it's pretty clear that's a constructed little piece of, you know, writing there. Like it's not in any of the other gospels, blah, 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 blah. But um, it, it's the first public thing Jesus does, and he's trying to reenact Moses, and right. he's giving the new Torah, or reinterpretation of Torah. But at the same time, Matthew, it just feels so unaware of, of what we know about, or what we think we know about, like, Judaism at the time yeah. in, in some points, But yeah, I know? mean, there's certainly, for Matthew, Jesus is the second Moses, right? So they have the five books of Moses, and you have essentially five books. You know, you can split uh, the Gospel of Matthew into five books. Um, yeah, right. he goes up on a mountain, like Moses went on a mountain, right? And he's, yeah, he's, he's not, yeah, reinterpreting is a good way to put it, right? The Torah, he's um, calling them to a higher righteousness. Is, you know, yeah. Right? right? You've heard it said, but I say, right. So he's kind of giving his own Torah. It's, it's giving them like actionable things that they can actually do. So it's like, yeah, okay, don't murder anyone. Sure, don't go murder anyone, but don't even get angry. Right. You know, don't don't go commit adultery. Sure, but don't look at pictures of attractive women on the internet. And they're like, what's yeah. the internet? <laughs> <laughs> All right. My, my uh, before we leave, my, my favorite. Oh, now I'm going to forget it. What was it? Oh, oh. When, when Matthew's has Jesus say, you know, you have heard it was said, uh, love your neighbor, but hate your enemy. But I say, and, and that's not in the Torah. Right. No, it's not like nobody knows where <laughs> like, that wait, came what? from. It's like, <laughs> yeah. just making this up. <laughs> exactly. Anyway. Okay, we're going to leave it there. Um, so think about Circus Jesus next time you read about his entry into Jerusalem. Uh, good show. A um, little loose, but good question. Keep the questions coming. We've got some other things we'll uh, continue to talk about, as always. But send us your feedback. Send us your love. Send us your questions. And if you want to, send us your money. Um, you can follow me on Twitter to witness my Twitter rants in real time. At Thomas Whitley, you can follow Sam at Sam Harrelson, and you can always find more great podcasts at thinking.fm.